What's up, revelers and weirdos, and welcome to Scaring Sam, where sometimes I terrify my fiance, sometimes she rolls her eyes, and all the time she questions why she's with me. We are your hosts. I'm Sam. And I'm James. And this week we are covering 1999's The Blair Witch Project. Yep, and this one has really got me questioning why I'm with you. <laughs> I think it's safe to say The Blair Witch Project has become the scariest movie you have ever watched. Yes, thank you. And we didn't capture your reactions watching it. No. But to be fair, you didn't audibly react. There wasn't any jump scares to yelp at. Instead, you were completely consumed by fear. Yes, that summarises it. But before we get there, quick plot. It's 1994 and... Three film students, Heather, Josh and Mike, go out into the woods in search for the legendary Blair Witch. And it doesn't end well. No, seriously. If you can hear by my tone. <laughs> Don't watch this one. You were basically reduced to tears watching this film. Yes, I would admit it. I don't like admitting it. But yeah, I'd, I did actually cry because I was terrified. But only the end part, once they ventured into Rustin Parr's abandoned house. Yes. Because before that, it's just unsettling in moments where you can hear, at night, children's laughter and babies crying. Well, you didn't get to the children's laughter in the earlier bit. That only came later. Yeah, but before that, I don't think he was unnerved by anything. No. It was a little bit unsettling, but nothing that I've not experienced before well in hindsight when you look at it when there isn't unsettling moments at night it's just a bunch of film students squabbling in the woods because they're lost yeah and they've got no cigarettes no, no food no food <laughs> could you imagine me not eating <laughs> yeah i could <laughs> okay i get hangry just for reference <laughs> I, yeah, I think I'd, I wouldn't exactly murder you, but, <laughs> oh dear. Well, one time we was walking around the Kew Gardens, and we weren't lost, but we was in a part where it was just surrounded by green, and Sam got hangry, and she was a pain in the ass, and she kind of took all the romance and magic out of walking through nature. And now James has learnt to always have a snack on him. Yes, I feed her in the car, little protein bars. <laughs> so yeah, you would not be great in this situation. No. No. Why, the second they ventured into that abandoned house, that you were so consumed by fear? I think it's all down to the fact that it's very realistic. You just put yourself in, in their shoes, don't you? And unlike other films... It's not kicked straight into the horror part. Like, you're gently kind of taken into it and you have this massive crescendo at the end of the film where everything's just going absolutely crazy. There's no musical cues either, is there? No, there's not. And it's just, there's eerie, natural silence. I say, I say silence is almost silent, isn't it? In the dark. I don't like the dark anyway. When it first came out, when The Blair Witch Project first came out, I wrote it off. I got judgmental that a film, which I had only seen the trailers of, mm. where a woman was 
blubbering directly into camera was being hailed as the scariest horror of all time. I couldn't accept it. Clearly, I was a very critical 12-year-old. But when you watch it, because this was the first time both you and I watched all of it, I've seen clips. Yes, the ending was ruined for me because of 100 scariest moments on Channel 4 ruined it again. <laughs> Essentially, what you're seeing on screen is real. Yes, it's not real found footage, like the text that the start suggests the footage is real, a la Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Neither were real. Mm. Neither are based on real life events. But these actors didn't know what to expect. Directors Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez kept their distance as much as they could from the actors whilst filming and forced them to actually camp in the woods to bring even more realism to the production. To that end, all the film's dialogue was improvised. The only notes the actors got were delivered to them in film canisters, sometimes with intentionally conflicting directions to raise tension amongst the trio. Mm. Obviously. Especially when somebody lost the map, and I guess they thought they were genuinely lost. Mm. So all that bickering and arguing was real. And maybe they actually deprived them of cigarettes as well. Possibly. And food as well. <laughs> So, of course, you're going to be pissed off. They were all hangry. <laughs> well, to that point, they must have been freaking out because they maybe they started questioning if they were even in a film or they were just led into the woods by a bunch of psychos or something. Makes you wonder. It does, doesn't it? Especially in those night scenes where they're literally running around the woods, making noises, playing sounds of children, yeah. and playing and babies wailing. Especially when... Um... Josh had got taken off. Yeah, he must have been given direction to like disappear in the middle yeah. of the night. And then Heather and Mike are just, they're absolutely losing their shit. <laughs> Especially when the next night they hear him calling out in distress. Yeah, that was not nice. What you're seeing is real. It's not acting. So I guess on an unconscious level, you're picking that up. Mm. You're seeing genuine fear on screen. Just like Heather's famous testimony, which, of course, I criticised as a kid. Oh, why is a woman staring at the camera with snot running down it? How's that scary? (laughs) It's powerful to watch because it's a real moment captured on camera. The filmmakers must have felt like they struck gold when they were reviewing the footage back when they were editing. Because I guess at that point, maybe she actually thought she was going to die. But there's no way that I would camp in the middle of the woods like that. I mean, I've camped before, but it's on a normal site. <laughs> like, you've got a toilet block. <laughs> and I'll keep emphasising this point when it comes to like films set out in the woods, but these nature reserves in America are huge. Mm. You can literally get lost in them. It's not like our ones, we can just... Walk, if you, even if you do get lost, you can just walk in any direction. Eventually, you'll reach the end of it and you'll find the main road or something. Yeah, within the day. If you're lost in these woods, sometimes you're not going to get found. Sometimes you're going to be attacked by, what are they call a cougar or something. A bear, for crying out loud. These occupy these places in America. Yeah, we don't have natural predators like that anymore, do we? And I did my research, and the US National Park Service, for whatever reason, does not collect data on how many visitors 
disappear in the wilderness or backcountry in their parks? I guess I don't know. It's a budgetary how reason. Can, well, how can how can you when when a national park's so big? How can you stay on top of that? You would have to hire so many people to do that. I guess so. So, well, I guess it is a budgetary reason because they've been around for well, decades. Once they've decided to like nationalise these parks or whatever, and they start getting rangers in. I just I find it odd that in the 21st century you still haven't got this service where they can collect this data. But there is a search and rescue dashboard which gives a rough idea of how many incidents occur when no one could be located. And in 2017 there was 3,453 reported search and rescue missions. Which were successful? or I think 90% they found the person. Or found a body. I was going to say, alive? And David Pilardis, who is the author of the famous Missing 411 book series, he estimates there are over 1,600 unexplained disappearances in North America. Mm. Which, seeing how large North America is, not that bad, I guess. We are just... As as a species, we are very curious, aren't we? And like to explore. So, of course, things like this is going to happen. So, yeah, again, it's plausible. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the supernatural element is, becomes a bit more far-fetched. But obviously, in those circumstances, when the whole plot revolves around filmmakers searching for this alleged Blair witch, and then these things start happening to them, mm. maybe their mind starts playing tricks on them. I think everyone's minds would play tricks on them in this situation. They didn't even know how it would end until days before shooting began. They knew what they didn't want. They didn't want someone in a shitty witch costume to jump out or something like that. Mm-hmm. Although it makes me wonder, now that part when they run out of the tent, to either flee or they're investigating the sounds and Heather sees something, we don't see it, but... She's like, oh, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? But maybe that's just genuine and her eyes are playing tricks on her because it's dark. Or it's one of the directors who's wearing something. You don't know. Freaking her out. Yeah. Yeah. Freaking her out. Once they finally decided on that now iconic unsettling climax where survivors, Heather and Mike, are in that creepy abandoned house of former serial killer, Mm. Rustin Parr, who used to have one child face the wall while killing another one. Mm-hmm. And then Heather finds Mike in... Facing the, the wall. Yeah. Yeah. It is a genuinely disturbing reaction she makes. Yeah. I think she honestly believes she's going to die in that moment. That emotional response. I don't know. Is, it, I was emotional like at that point, James, so I, I don't know. <laughs> It sounds like she's having a breakdown. Again, it makes me wonder that she, if they ever started questioning whether they were in a film or in some kind of snuff film or something. But Michael Williams' direction was to run from Heather inside the house, leaving her screaming in terror, which <laughs> paid off. Mm-hmm. And it, again, they had those creepy handprints of the children on the walls as well, yeah. which, you, again, you didn't even see. But when... Mike, Michael. Once he reached the basement, he was intercepted by one of the producers who told him to quickly stand in the corner. So what we saw on screen was him literally being rugby tackled to the ground. As we all now know, 
led to the camera capturing Heather, very real horrified reaction that led into the end of the film, sending audience home terrified. Mm-hmm. Because there's no resolution in this film. That's literally how it ends. Yeah. Her screaming until, I guess, and the same producer rugby tackled her to the ground. I'm glad you brought up that point of a resolution in a film because with all these films that we're watching, of course I don't like horror, but I have to finish watching the film because I have to know how it's going to end so I can wrap it up. And this film just didn't wrap up. (laughs) But it does make me wonder... How long it took for the actors to psychologically recover from this experience. Mm. Because the gruelling onset treatment the actors had to endure certainly paid off for us. You say this. Yeah, all I that, did not enjoy it. <laughs> and all that raw emotion is laid bare on screen for everyone to experience. And it was filmed on a measly budget of $60,000. It made nearly $250 million during its run. Which shows that you don't have to spend a ridiculous amount of money on a film for it to be successful. But there's some serious cheddar in comparison to how much it costs to make. Despite the likes of the McPherson tape and Ghostwatch existing years before, the film's influence on the horror genre can still be felt today. Paranormal Activity. Which I didn't particularly like, but (laughs) I would watch it again. If I had to watch one between Blair Witch Project and... Paranormal Activity, I would watch Paranormal Activity. I'm never watching Blair Witch again. But <laughs> You just, cannot force me. Just like Paranormal Activity, you now know what to expect, so I don't think you'll be scared. I don't know. Well, it does make me wonder how these people on YouTube, who have entire channels dedicated to exploring abandoned buildings at night, can put themselves through that. I've been to an abandoned building once, but it was during the daytime. <laughs> and there was there was another group of people there that turned up and we didn't know that they'd they were there as well. And there was just this moment <laughs> where you're walking past a corridor and there's someone else there and you're like, shit, oh my God. <laughs> That's the point, isn't it? I know some people explore it to look for paranormal experience. But you're more likely to come across some crackhead who's going to do God knows what to you. Chase you down, tickle your bum up. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what people on meth are thinking. You're likely going to come across someone like that and then a ghost. And that's more terrifying. Well, you're expecting a ghost and then you see someone in very dim, dim light, which is ghostly. It's eerie. So... Of course you're going to have experiences like that and people saying, yes, it's haunted. Um, (laughs) It's people scaring people. Yes, what people can cause literal physical harms of people. So I don't know how these people can pluck up the courage to explore these places. Yeah. Speaking of silly people exploring questionable places, my brother, when he was a teenager... Mm. Somehow persuaded his friends to go to Farnham Woods, which we've been through. Yeah. Although we left because of midges. <laughs> yes. He persuaded them to venture deep into the middle of the woods at night. And then he decided to tell the story of the Badger Man, which I only discovered a couple of years ago was 
a retelling of the American urban legend of the bunny man. Some guy dressed up in a bunny costume killed people with an axe in the middle of woods. Mm-hmm. I guess urban legends, as they are, Chinese whispers, they change and evolve over time. And once it reached the UK shores, somehow my brother heard about the badger man, which was just an axe murderer, mm-hmm. who took people into the woods and killed them. And of course, he was telling this story in the middle of the woods, in the middle of the night, and they convinced themselves they heard a axe chopping. Of course, they shit themselves, and my brother fled. But being the only one who knew how to get out of the middle of the <gasps> woods... No! Yeah. He left them all. That's how I remember the story. I remember him coming home, white as a sheet, running all the way from Farnham Woods, and that's what, a couple of miles from yeah. my parents' house? <laughs> And he left his friends there. Is he still friends with them? I think so. <laughs> That's lucky. They, they forgive. They forgave him. <laughs> could you imagine? You've got your torches. Just like in a film, you're searching through the woods and you're expecting to see a face looking back at you. Imagination is such a wonderful thing, but... And a terrible thing. Yes. <laughs> Quite Right. Oh, dear. And before this film, the most terrifying film you saw was, again, found footage, technically, in Host. Yeah. And unlike Blair Witch, you actually see the demon in that film. Mm -hmm. But in this film, you saw nothing. It's the most terrified you've ever been because your mind started filling in the gaps. Mm -hmm. So it's even worse not seeing anything, not seeing a face looking back at you because... You're constantly waiting to see something and nothing ever comes. Again, this is why I think if you watched it again, you'll be fine. I think this is a one and done film. Because you're not going to get the same experience again. Well, we're not going to test that theory because I'm not watching it again. (laughs) Okay, then. But coming back to Van Footage, this film popularised that horror subgenre and was the first to truly use viral marketing. Think about it, this is 1999. Mm. This is before Internet 2.0 in 2005. This was long before social media or YouTube, so there wasn't a whole lot of places online to discuss horror movies, namely forums and the start of very basic personal websites. Blairwitch.com built this elaborate history on the legend, all the while building excitement for the film's release. To prevent the suspension of disbelief, the filmmakers introduced themselves as the film company who were hired by the parents of the missing students to edit their tapes and investigate the footage revealed. Quite oh, clever, right? Yeah. So, with this commitment to maintaining the illusion, or in wrestling terms, and Sam doesn't give two shits about this, never breaking kayfabe. What? Okay, so, slight detour. Kayfabe is when wrestlers, because you know wrestlers is like a glorified soap opera, sorry wrestlers fans, but it is, it's basically a soap opera. There's ongoing storylines. Some wrestlers ha- use their real names, so it gets a bit confusing, but every time they do interviews, they have to maintain this illusion. They have this rivalry with other wrestlers. That's what kayfabe is. They don't break character. That's right, what, that's, okay. That's the long and short of it. Sorry, I went on that detour. <laughs> you can see why so many people genuinely thought the events they witnessed on screen were real, no matter how elaborate and unreal things got. So could you imagine... Mm. 1999, you went to the cinema and perhaps most of the audience were fans 
of the Blair Witch and they've been on the site, they've been on the forums, they've been discussing it and then the film's finally released and they think what they're seeing on screen is real with those real performances by those actors who use their real names, people must have been scared out of their minds. Surely something like that, if it was actually real, it wouldn't be allowed to be shown. But again, it's that suspension of disbelief. You'll come up with any reason, any excuse to justify how a snuff film could be shown in all these worldwide theatres and cinemas and still convince themselves, oh, this was all real. We just watched two people get killed in a basement. Seriously, though, do not underestimate how much people actually believed the film was real. Relatives of one of the actors began to receive condolences from friends who saw the movie and thought they had gone missing in the woods. Oh, my God. Rumours of these three filmmakers' deaths continued to persist even after it was revealed none of it was real. Oh, my God. That's the power of belief, I guess. Yeah. But all in all, the biggest question... I have left, after watching this film, is with all this happening around them, where did they have a shit in the woods? <laughs> Seriously, would, did they just wait until morning and go beyond a tree? I, I, I would have thought so, yeah. Because when I get stressed, I stress poo. And if I was hearing children's laughter and babies wailing in the middle of the night, my last cheeks would pucker. <laughs> you got to remember, though, that I don't think they're eating, though, are they, as well? So there's not going to be much in them. True, but they still had some food in them. And, you know, when fight or flight kicks in, your body does anything to lose weight to make you lighter and faster. <laughs> there is one moment, though, when when the three of them are together, and this is in the daytime, where... Heather is going to the loo, but I think she's going for a wee. And there's a camera kind of... She's trying to be discreet, obviously, isn't she? Yes. Because, again, these actors thought everything was happening around them was real. Yeah. And I'm putting myself in that position. My, I'll be like, Frrr. I need to go to the toilet now, but I don't want to go outside this tent. <laughs> so you do it inside the I tent? I don't know. <laughs> And I'm being honest here, when I've gone to music festivals, the worst part is camping, especially when it gets dark and you need to go and you forget, you forget how cold it gets at night. And then you need to go to the loo, you go into those portable toilets and you can't see anything. And it's disgusting, especially when you have these eco toilets and it's just like throwing sawdust down a hole they've dug out of the ground. I want to avoid that as much as I can. And sometimes I've needed a poo and I've tried to hold it in at night. Uh, why are you looking at me like that? It's natural. But I had to go to the toilet at night at music festivals and I've tried to avoid it until something was poking out. Makes, oh. It makes me wonder what would I do in this situation. Because <laughs> that was too much. If there's some supernatural witch out there in the woods, I don't want to go shitting in the woods like a bear, especially at night. And you're sharing a tent with three other people. I mean, what do you do in that situation? That's the unresolved question I have after watching this film. Well, that's a lovely note to finish on, isn't it? Yes. On that bombshell, are there any... Um, cliches? Cliches, yeah. Of course. Everybody loves a cliché. 
a film that so uncharacteristically avoids typical horror tropes, there's still some cliches. Of course, you have Investigating in the Dark. Yep. And the gang... Well, Split what? up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they enter the dark basement. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it, I think. So you've been listening to Scaring Sam. We are your hosts. I'm Sam. And I'm James. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ScaringSamPod. And you can contact us at ScaringSamPod at gmail.com. Stay, Stay safe, safe out there tonight. tonight. And have a hot chocolate.